0: The stage is dark, but the conversation is just beginning. Welcome to the Utah Symphony's Ghost Light Podcast. A behind-the-curtain look into the world of classical music and the artists who make it. I'm your host, Jeff Counts, and I'm joined today by cellist Andrew Larson. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you, Jeff. Andrew is a recently tenured member of the, the Utah Symphony. Congratulations on that, Andrew. Thank you. It was interesting for me to learn when I was reading about you, that the opportunity to perform with both Utah Symphony and Utah Opera was a big part of what attracted you to this job. Can you talk about why this appealed to you?
1: As a musician, I really enjoy versatility and to to play opera literature and orchestral literature really attracts me because of the different ways that it expresses emotion Mm -hmm. through music. I mean, in the orchestral side, it's absolute music, which, the emotion comes purely from the harmony, the rhythm, and just the form of the overall piece. Right, pieces. it doesn't often reference some extra musical subject. Exactly. And so to, to counter that, the opera literature is totally programmatic, Right. and I enjoy storytelling in all forms, so just to put music to that is perfect for me.
0: I can tell you that um, that caught my eye, because when I came to this company back in 2004, it was exactly that pairing of opportunities that appealed to me as well, so I'm, I'm glad to hear your answer. It informs mine quite a bit, too. Speaking of operas, are there any particular that you hope to perform during your time here? I mean, tell us a few of your favorites. You've only been here a little while now, so there's
1: got to be a long list. Yeah, well, I, I have several that I in, would like to play. In Utah, I would like to play Strauss's Der Rosenkavalier. Oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. was the first opera that I heard perform live. Really? And it it just blew me away. That's a rare first one. Yeah. It's it's a little heavy for a first first opera, but yeah, I fell in love with it. And I I mean, I haven't performed it. So to do it here would be, would would be great. Well, Christopher Macbeth has been a guest on this show. I'm sure he's
0: listening. So Christopher DeRozan Cavalier, there you have a request from one of your cellists. Okay. We've had conversations with several of your colleagues and we've talked with Elizabeth Bielman about her time in the Sarasota Orchestra. And she did a lot of chamber music there. And you know much of your training i'm sure was in chamber music and solo mm-hmm. repertoire as most uh, musicians uh and that's not something you get to do a whole lot of in your day job anymore this job is very busy and it's all full symphonic so how do you keep that part of your personal performing life fresh
1: well you just have to make it happen i mean outside of work when you have the energy i mean you have to want to do it and yeah uh, i for me it's I really find personal pleasure in just looking at the at the repertoire on my own time, whether it be just getting some other colleagues together to just read some chamber music or sure. for myself just getting into the practice room and just taking some music out that I've learned before or just order some music that I've never played and just sure. start studying it on my own, listening to the the piece and just using my skills to... To get it done.
0: Do you think it's important to work on quartets and sonatas, and do you think it informs your symphony playing to keep that? Yes,
1: I think so, because when you sit in a section, you, you're bound to the overall sound. You have much sure. balance to that. That's that's your function. Sure. So to play chamber music, it gets your ears to realize how you need to project in a different way to balance to a, a smaller group of people. Sure. And just to communicate with, with a little more impact, because you must be visceral yes. with your approach. Sure.
0: Yeah. Sure, sure, hands on. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, You you know, you talk about playing in a section, that's interesting, it's something I've been wanting to talk to one of you about, and I'm glad you're here today. Because people outside of the orchestra business may not realize that string players in sections often rotate through the different chairs Mm -hmm. within their section. Mm -hmm. You may not notice that on a week to week basis, but it's happening all the time. What can you tell us about why that happens and how it impacts you personally from program to program, this moving around?
1: Well, it happens due to the decision of the the music director right. or, and the way it impacts the players in the section is that it gives them the opportunity to, for one, to just sit with different colleagues. Sure. So it's a little more fresh that way. You're not sure. bound to sit with the same person your whole career, sure. which I'm, I'm glad that I can move around the section for that, that does, reason. That does happen some places, yeah, too. It, yeah, it does, yeah. and it can get ugly that way, too, yeah. but yeah, musically... It's just, it's like chamber music again, it keeps your ears open because you you may be sitting closer to the front of the stage. You may be sitting in the back of the section, closer to the winds and brass. It just informs your ears and your music making to just figure out how to balance with that.
0: Each week is a new experience in a certain exactly. way. Yeah, yeah. It, it may be one that you've repeated before with a certain person, but mm-hmm. you may not have been on second stand the last time you sat with that person. Exactly. You may have been on the fifth stand, closer to the bases. Or Yeah, okay, very interesting. So I, I've noticed in your section in particular, you move around quite a bit on stage. Frequent visitors to bravna Hall and other concert venues, I suspect, might have noticed that the entire cello section itself is in a different stage position sometimes from week to week. Um, so you mentioned sitting near the brass, sometimes you're over by the, on the percussion side. So, why? Why does this happen? And do you feel like this sort of flexible
1: geography helps the section or just speak about that a little bit? Moving around on stage helps the balance of the overall ensemble. So similar to the way an individual member would rotate within the section, it's like that on a grander scale for the 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 entire section but that usually comes down to the decision of the music director what what they want for a particular piece or a style of repertoire just for the overall balance of the ensemble. Yeah, the again. reasons are artistic, right? They're exactly. not capricious. Yeah, it's that's not right. visual. It's it's yeah.
0: it's based on repertoire. Yeah, it's yeah. artistic, yes. Do you I mean it, it happens to it happens to the cello section qu- quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, do your colleagues discuss it? I mean, is it something that you talk about? Do you have, do you look at the, the board each week and go, "Where are we sitting now?"
1: Um, not really. We just, you just sit adapt. where we're told to sit, sure, you know? Sure. I mean, yeah. sometimes we're in the blast zone by the brass right. or then we're in the high frequency zone by the piccolo. Right. I mean, right. But, but I mean, it, it, it or, doesn't or really matter. Or near the percussion, which is a different kind yeah. of sonic experience yeah, 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 for sure.
0: Yeah. yeah. And the further you sit in the back, the closer you are to start the kind of the heart of the orchestra. Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, it's fascinating. And I'm not sure that people um, sitting in the audience if they notice fully understand why this happens so thank mm-hmm. you so much for that insight there's a there's a question we ask everybody on the Ghostlight podcast and it's because of our name and the question is andrew larson have you ever seen a ghost tell us a paranormal
1: story from your life i have not seen a ghost but i have stayed in an apartment during my college days and my housemate had a cat and I am positive that that cat saw a ghost from time to time. It would act really strange. And o- it, usually late at night, and it would just walk around and then stop and like look up into the corners and just act really strange. And it was it was eerie. Like I got a really interesting vibe from that animal. And I, I mean, I couldn't tell if it was looking at anything for sure. I couldn't see anything, but... It was clear that it, this animal was sensing something. It's,
0: it's the first Ghostlight podcast story that involved an animal. <laughs> and it was the first one that we've been able to confirm by a movie because we know because of the movie Ghost that cats can see ghosts. Okay. So, all right. Well done, Andrew. All Thank right. you, Andrew Larson, for being a guest on the Ghostlight podcast. Yes. It's great to have you. This week, guest conductor Hans Graf returns by popular demand to a Bravanel Hall. He will conduct Beethoven's piano concerto number no. two, which will be performed with internationally acclaimed guest soloist Jeffrey Kahane continuing the Beethoven Five Concerto cycle that is being performed this season as part of the O.C. Tanner Company Masterwork Series. Graf will also conduct Rachmaninoff's powerful Symphony Number no. 3, as well as Mozart's Symphony Number no. 19. Tickets and information can be found at utahsymphony.org. The Ghostlight Podcast is produced by Chad Call. Utah Symphony Utah Opera season sponsor is the George S. and Dolores Dore Eccles Foundation.